Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Eccentric Earth. I'm your host Amy Walker and joining me this week to delve into a story from history is my guest, Han Birch. Hi. Hi, thanks for coming back again, Han. Well, you know, you actually invited me this time. I I don't know whether to feel honoured or worry it's a trap. I have invited you on before. (laughs) Your first episode was not a last minute thing. You were actually invited for Boston Corbett. Yes, I know that, but it's funny to ignore that for the sake of the joke. That's that's nice. You, you bail me out <laughs> and and help keep the show on track, and then you use that as a way of making me look like an asshole. Like you've never made me look like an asshole. I don't think not deleting stuff from the audio is making you look like an asshole. I think it's just showing what you're actually like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good point. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, you're back with us again, your fourth time on the show, our most recurring guest, and this time I've picked out a really cool story for you about a group of people known as the Harlem Hellfighters. Okay. On 5th October 1917, Emmett J. Scott, the longtime secretary to Booker T. Washington, the advisor to the President of the United States and prominent leader of the African-American community, was appointed Special Assistant to Newton D. Baker, the Secretary of War. Scott was to serve as a confidential advisor in situations that involved the well-being of 10 million African-Americans and their role in the war. Okay. While many African-Americans who served in the Great War believed racial discrimination would dissipate once they returned home, that did not happen. Really? That's a, that, wow, I'm shocked about that. Yeah, it's like, surely all the problems would be fixed for them after they volunteered to put their lives on the line for their country and Mm -hmm. people's freedoms. You know, you'd think people would stop being complete cunts after that. Well, you know, when the Americans came over in the Second World War, the officers wanted segregated pubs for the black soldiers and the white soldiers. And basically, Middle England just went, get to fuck. (laughs) And they were really concerned about the number of white people who were kind to the black soldiers. Like, what the actual fuck? If you haven't seen it, that is actually the best episode of Goodnight Sweetheart, where they deal with the racial segregation in the pubs. Oh! (laughs) For those who are into old 90s sitcoms. about Goodnight Sweetheart. (laughs) I was planning on watching it and listening to the podcast. You've reminded me, I've got the time now. Yeah, no, it's this will probably get cut out. It's a really, really good episode because you've got the black soldiers coming in and everyone's really cool with it, but you've got this arsehole white southern officer who tries to force them out of the pub and be like, you can't serve these people, and going up against Phoebe and Gary who are like, no, we can do what we want, and it shows how the people in England just saw them as other soldiers and good guys, but the American top brass were like, no, you have to treat them different. It's done really well for a 20 minute 90s sitcom. It's a, mm. it's a good episode. Right. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Our story. So, 
Racism after World War I was probably at its worst until the start of World War II. So with this white discrimination of African-American soldiers, these troops were often sent to Europe, where they were used to fill vacancies in the French armies. What? So instead of fighting for America, they're now fighting for France? They're just being shipped off? Yeah, it's too, America is too racist to have black soldiers in their military in their own country that they're sending them off to France. <sighs> Unlike the British, the French held high opinions of black soldiers, which made for a more positive environments when working together. Hmm. Ironically, this made African-American troops more passionate about fighting for the US. This newly created patriotism by African-Americans then led to the creation of the 369th Infantry Regiment, who were also known as the Harlem Hellfighters. Sorry, hang on a minute. So they got sent overseas, but were treated really well when, once they got there. And rather than going, our country is scum for doing this, look how enlightened France is, they went, USA, USA. <laughs> Pretty much. It makes no sense. No, I cannot, I cannot even, unless they thought that the Americans were sending them there as a treat. Quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I don't Job get well it. Done. But Go and eat cheese and wine. Yeah, even, even with how they were treated, they were incredibly proud to be American and wanted to defend their country. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, they were, they were serving their country. Yeah, it, I think it says a lot about their strength of character and how decent people they were for mm. to be treated like such crap and still be willing to, to put their lives on the line. Yeah, for something they believed in. Yeah. Although many African Americans were eager to fight in the war, they were often turned away from military service. When the United States realised that they did not have close to enough troops, it decided to pass the Selective Service Act of 1917. Okay, so this was before the draft. African-American yes. people were going to volunteer to serve their country and yes. the soldiers and the, the recruiters were going, no. That is correct. Because you're black. Yes. I mean, not to mention the fact that if, if this is now the institution of like the draft and service for young white kids, they're kind of, you know... Not exactly preserving their race, are they? No. <laughs> Unless they didn't see it as sending their white boys off to die, but sending their white boys off to, you know, become men and... Yeah, obtain glory. Be patriotic and... and all that. Yeah. Right. Anyway, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> this is going to take me... <laughs> like, I'm struggling to get my head around a lot of this. Yeah, because it's backwards thinking. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah. Let's do the opposite of a good thing. <laughs> Every single decision we make. Okay. Okay, this might lose me some listeners, but is that not the American motto? Um, not all Americans, hashtag. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you look at the whole, whole kind of bedrock of psychology of how people are raised that you're not poor, you're just not rich yet, therefore you vote your aspiration because of the American dream rather than realising that you're actually making it even harder for yourself to achieve the American dream by voting for that. Mm. It's quite interesting. I'm re-watching old episodes of The Daily Show, mm. and I'm watching 2011, which was the first time Trump kind of said, oh, I may run, I may run, I may run. And, you know, John Stewart going, I want him to run, this will be fucking hilarious. Um, yeah. 
but it's also the first time they had like um herman cain was a can was a primary candidate and it came out that he had settled sexual harassment lawsuits in the 90s for hundreds of millions of dollars and fox news were just calling them allegations you know and just completely backing backing herman cain about this in a, in like and it was just like and to me this is kind of like this is like the 2012 election the republican party mitt romney was the front runner but everybody hated him because yeah. he's not technically a christian because he's a mormon and because he was actually fairly moderate and he was an independent before he he switched to the republican party so he flip-flopped on a lot of issues went from pro-choice to pro-life second amendment things like that you know obamacare is actually based on his health care plan so he wasn't trusted by the rabid republicans but then they had no choice but to run him because the country wasn't ready for like a michelle backman or a herman cain at that point mm. But, but then because Obama got back into power, they then had to double down on the crazy, which is basically how Donald Trump is now the fucking president. Ugh. That statement still makes me cry a little inside. Yeah. OK, back to the story. <laughs> <laughs> the Selective Service Act required all men from the ages of 21 to 30 to register for the draft. This included African-Americans as well. This would give african-americans the opportunity that they needed to try and change the way they were perceived by their white compatriots oh bless them for that hope once the u.s entered into world war one many african-americans believed that entering the armed forces would help eliminate a racial discrimination throughout the united states which is actually fairly logical you know you're you're very yeah. patriotic you think that america is is the tits we're going to show you that we believe that this is this is common ground that we have this is surely this is far more established and deep and meaningful common ground than the fact that my skin tone is darker than yours well yeah it's a it's a perfectly logical reasoned argument which is why it stands no hope in hell of working against racism which is the opposite of all of those yeah I mean, the whole, the one drop, um, I can't remember which state it is, but one state in the South instituted a one drop rule, which yeah. is if you've got one drop of African-American blood in you, you are African-American. So even yeah. if it's like eight generations ago, you are African-American. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Many African-Americans felt it was a godsend blessing so they could prove they deserved respect from their white compatriots throughout the services. Through the efforts of the Central Committee of Negro College Men and President Wilson, a special training camp to train black officers for the proposed black regiments was established. The infantry was called into federal service on the 25th of July 1917 at Camp Whitman in New York. While at Camp Whitman, the 369th Infantry learned basic military practices. These included military courtesy, how to address officers and how to salute. Along with these basics, they also learned how to stay low and out of sight during attacks. How to what? stand <laughs> How to stand guard and I, how to march I, I, in formation. I, sorry. <laughs> so they learned they learned how to be subservient to officers yep. and how to stay out of sight when being attacked, but they weren't taught how to use a gun. You don't need that in war, Han. Come on. You just keep out of sight of the enemy until they give up and go home. And serve tea. <laughs> wow. I am... Um... <laughs> it's 
sound a bit speechless there. Are you okay? I no, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am just I am just utterly I don't know whether to laugh or be utterly disgusted with the people in charge who instituted that policy. At least there's people trying to change things at a higher level at this point. You know, there's, there's, there is some good going on. Okay, it's a tiny amount of good compared to the <laughs> masses of awfulness, but there is a tiny glimmer of good that you have African-American people in high positions trying to implement changes. Okay, so, yeah, tell me something good news then. <laughs> oh, this might not be the episode for you. <laughs> <laughs> After their training at Camp Whitman, the 369th was called into active duty in New York. While in New York, the regiment was split into three battalions, in which they guarded rail lines, construction sites, and other camps throughout the state. Then, on the 8th of October in 1917, the regiment travelled to Camp Wadsworth in Spartanburg, South Carolina, where they received training for actual combat. Finally. Yeah, see? They're, they're learning how to shoot now after being on duty for a few months. Yeah, they got they got the important stuff out of the way first. Yeah. Camp Wadsworth was set up similar to the French battlefields. So I imagine they've just dug trenches in fields and are shooting at their own men. <laughs> While at Camp Wadsworth, they experienced significant racism from local communities and from other units. Well, I was going to say, as soon as you mentioned South Car- Carolina, I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. that's... Smart. Sending them there. There was one incident in which two soldiers from the 15th Regiment were refused by the owner of a shop when they attempted to buy a newspaper. What are you reading for? God, you can imagine what kind of shit they were coming out with to why African Americans shouldn't have newspapers. Yeah. I ain't got no book learning. Why should you? Probably pretty much it. Several soldiers from the White 27th Division, a New York National Guard organization, came to the aid of their fellow soldiers, however. There were many other shops that refused to sell goods to the members of the 15th Regiment, so members of the 27th Division told the shop owners that if they did not serve black soldiers, that they can close their stores down and leave town. The white soldiers then stated, They're our buddies, and we won't buy from men who treat them unfairly. So Yay! there, there, is, there is some camaraderie, yeah. The 15th Infantry Regiment was assigned on the 1st of December to the 185th Infantry Brigade. It was commanded by Colonel William Hayward, a member of the Union League Club of New York, which sponsored the 369th in the tradition of the 20th U.S. Coloured Infantry, which the club had sponsored in the U.S. Civil War. So they were, so they, but they were, they were on the side of black soldiers during the yeah. civil war yeah. so they're not the confederacy they're the union so yeah so they're, they're keeping broad, that broad, broad strokes yeah the not 15th... as racist as the other ones <laughs> definitely not the 15th infantry regiment was shipped out from new york port of embarkation on the 27th of december 1917 and joined its brigade upon arrival in france the unit was relegated to labor service duties instead of combat the 185th Infantry Brigade was assigned on the 5th of January 1918 to the 93rd Division. The 15th Infantry Regiment was reorganised and, re- and redesignated on the 1st of March as the 369th Infantry Regiment, but the unit continued labour service duties while it awaited decision as to its future. I think, I seem to recall 
that this is all due to it, it you know was reassigned to this that and the other this is because when they get heavy losses which they did in the first world war because of you know the the way that they fought by getting men to walk across a field with machine guns pointing at them they were massive heavy losses so they would amalgamate brigades yeah. and groups um in that in that sense when when the losses were too yeah heavy to sustain so you know there's all this very bland language but it's actually it's one of those things that just paints a picture of yeah no the reason for that is because there's a fuckload of people dead i think it's also in part because they didn't quite know what they wanted to do with a regiment of black soldiers so yeah. they just kept shifting them from one shit assignment to another mm. rather than putting them in combat which is what they wanted what they trained for they're just being moved around from place to place behind the front line it's almost like they're tasks. being it's almost like they're being treated like um oh you know what's that word celebrities begins with a uh no 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 close Sla- sl- sl- slaves slaves to the rhythm <laughs> I, I i don't know where you're trying to go with this one han this is like the weirdest <laughs> sort of comparison thing you've ever done I actually have no comeback. Damn. <laughs> you win this round. The US Army decided on the 8th of April 1918 to assign the unit to the French Army for the duration of the American participation in the war because many white American soldiers refused to perform combat duties with black men. Oh, for fuck's sake. That sentence just makes you so happy to be white, doesn't it? Oh, my. What the fuck? white people are so fucking the worst i can't even the men were issued french weapons helmets belts and pouches although they did continue to wear their u.s uniforms after the regiment's limited combat training stateside they were issued springfield rifles which they had to give back after being assigned to the french (laughs) in place of their springfields the 369th received the french label rifle which had a reputation for reliability, but was temperamental and annoying to load. How can it be both reliable and temperamental? (laughs) I don't know. I just read the information I've found. I think it means they're more durable, but they can sometimes get a bit more finicky in certain ways. Yeah, either that or they, or as long as you get them loaded, they won't jam. Yeah. But getting them loaded is, is the faff. So they were given, in the Americans' eyes, less good weaponry Yes. that they weren't trained on. Correct. By order of the Americans. Correct. Carry on. Some members of the regiment, like Captain Hamilton Fish, saw the exchange as a bit of a disappointment. The Labels were nowhere near as good as our Springfields, he said in a later account. The French, you see, were great believers in the hand grenade, their rifle seemed more or less something to put bayonets on instead of shooting. And the way he categorised it was slightly disappointing. Yeah. Not you motherfuckers. While in the United States, the 369th Regiment was subjected to intense racial discrimination and its members looked down upon. It suffered considerable harassment by both individual white American soldiers and even denigration by the American Expeditionary Force headquarters, which went so far as to release a notorious pamphlet titled 
secret information concerning black American troops, which warned French civilian authorities of the alleged inferior nature and supposed rapist tendencies of African Americans. <gasps> yep. <laughs> the pamphlet essentially warned the French that if they worked too closely or too well with the members of the regiment, the Americans would hold it against them. <gasps> this next part is a direct quote from the pamphlet. The increasing number of Negroes in the United States, around 15 million, would create for the white race in the Republic a menace of degeneracy were it not for the impassable gulf that has been made between them. Although citizens of the United States, the black man is regarded by the white American as an inferior being. You okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, holy. Were the black soldiers aware of this pamphlet? Yes. This, this was given out to the <sighs> French who the Hellfighters were working alongside, so they would have been aware of this. Oh, my. I honest, I have no words. Yeah. I can't. I, yeah, I just. Yeah, I have no, I, you've actually made me speechless, Amy. Well, not you. Well, I didn't, I didn't. Not, yeah, I was Ameri- say, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. History made you speechless. <laughs> yeah, just. The sheer, I'm trying to just unravel like some kind of coherent thought process that led to all this shit and I just can't do it. Is there any part of these people that thought that they were doing the French a favour? No, I think they thought they could just unload the black soldiers. No, 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 no. By, no, sorry, by, by warning them oh. about the nature of these people and saying, you know, be on our side about 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 this this is this is obviously the reasonable thing that they're just you know don't help them because they're a menace and there's too many of them and we're both white i think they just honestly believed their racism that much that yeah we've got to warn the french people about how terrible the black men are they'll thank us for it kind of mentality mm. which it should be too crazy to be the logical explanation but I mean, can you imagine that conversation? I mean, obviously the French, the French will be racist, but we should just let them know about our black people, just to just to make doubly sure. I mean, obviously nobody's going to have a problem with the content of the pamphlet. That's that's not even up for debate, is it? <sighs> Use your idea. You can't. You <laughs> I can't know. Wimp out on me now. Look, it gets better. It gets better. <laughs> Literally, the next sentence. It gets better. <laughs> okay. In France, the 369th Regiment were treated as if they were no different from any other French unit. Hooray! The French did not show any hatred towards them and did not racially segregate. The 369th finally felt what it was like to be treated equally. The French accepted the all-black regiment with open arms and welcomed them into their country. The French were less concerned with race than the Americans due to the manpower shortages. So they're just happy to have anyone. They don't give a shit who they are. Yeah. Because they're not complete dicks. Because they appreciate the fucking help. Yeah. They're like, oh, you're willing to fight for us. You're awesome. By the time the 369th made its way to the trenches, each member of the regiment was paired off with a French counterpart, a stab at forced harmony that would have been unthinkable in the American military at the time. 
The pairs then trained intensely for three oh, weeks. Oh, that's, that's, that's really cute, though, that they have, like, the buddy system. The Hellfighters quickly learnt the tricks of trench warfare from their French counterparts. Those tricks included cutting off the tails of their overcoats so they wouldn't get weighed down with mud and water, carving grooves in the mud wall with shovels to make it easier to climb out of the trenches, or curling up balls of barbed wire during the day so that at night they could be carried with ease and then quickly unfurl to reinforce the defences. Knowing when to take cover or when to be wary of gas attacks, i.e. when the wind was blowing towards your lines, all had to become second nature for men who survived half a year in the trenches. Mm-hmm. Many of the US-French pairs of soldiers ended up cementing permanent bonds. George Koufi was a young soldier in the 369th Regiment. He became close to his French counterpart, Ruby Garnett, who taught him how to speak French, a fact that Koufi's wife, children and grandchildren were unaware of for decades, until one night they caught him talking in French in his sleep. Oh. When asked why he never spoke French around his family before, he replied, none of you can speak French. Why should I waste my time talking it to you? <laughs> That's a good fucking point. Because you probably think I'd gone crazy. <laughs> I just like the matter of factness of like, well, you don't talk it. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try and get this French phrase correct now. One night in the days before the Musée Argonnet offensive a massive battle that stretched along the Western Front and lasted for 47 days, ending on Armistice Day, Garnet took Koufi's place on watch. Tragically, Garnet was killed in an unexpected attack, and his death stayed with Koufi for years. Yeah, as it would, you know, a relationship bonded in trauma. They were buddies, so they'd been together Mm. all the time in the trenches, Koufi's great-nephew, Glenn Jones, later said. Koufé vowed to name his first child after Garnet, which he did, naming his eldest daughter, Ruby, after his fallen friend. Aww. Yeah, that's incredibly sweet. Yeah. The 369th was relieved on the 8th of May, 1918, from assignment to the 158th Infantry Brigade, and went into the trenches as part of the French 16th Division. It served continuously to the 3rd of July. The regiment returned to combat in the Second Battle of the Marne. Later, the 369th was reassigned to General Lebuc's 161st Division to participate in the Allied counterattack. On one tour, they were out for over six months, which was the longest deployment of any unit in World War One. <sighs> six months in the trenches. And again, you assume that what they weren't called home because nobody gave a fuck about them coming home? Most likely. Or at least no one in the uh, top brass did. Mm. On 19th of August, the regiment went off the line for rest and training of replacements. While overseas, the Hellfighters saw enemy propaganda intended for them. It claimed that Germans had done nothing wrong to blacks, and that they should be fighting the United States, which had oppressed them for generations. This had the opposite of the intended effect. So, the Hellfighters (laughs) saw this propaganda and went... No, fuck you, Germany. Which, surprising as the Germans made a very valid point, I feel, there. (laughs) Yeah. On the 25th of September, 1918, the 4th French Army went on the offensive in conjunction with the American drive in the Musée Argonne. The 369th turned in good accounts in heavy fighting, sustaining severe losses. 
However, they captured the important village of Sechalt. At one point, the 369th advanced faster than the French troops on their right and left flanks, and risked being cut off. By the time the regiment pulled back for reorganisation, it had advanced 14 kilometres, or (gasps) 8.7 miles, through severe German resistance. They were 14 kilometres ahead of everyone else? Yep. So they were in the trenches for longer than anyone else in the entire war, and they were kicking ass better than everyone else. Mm. Using equipment they weren't familiar with, and working alongside soldiers whose language wasn't their first language. Yeah, all that. Yeah. Makes you think just how much more badass they'd have been if the Americans hadn't been complete bastards to them. <laughs> yeah, makes makes you think that, you know, perhaps there is some value to those people. Or am I just am I just reading too much into it? I, I don't think anyone's going to come out of this thinking that about them. Let's be honest. Can you see the Americans doing that in 1918? It was just luck, probably. Oh, they, it was probably the French that did it. Yeah. In mid-October, the regiment was moved to a quiet sector in the Vorges Mountains. It was there on the 11th of November, the day of the armistice. Six days later, the 369th made its last advance, and on the 26th of November, reached the banks of the River Rhine, the first Allied unit to do so. (laughs) The regiment was relieved on the 12th of December 1918 from assignment to the French 161st Division. It returned to the New York port of embarkation and was demobilised on the 28th of February 1919 at Camp Upton in New York and returned to the New York Army National Guard. Two medals of honour and many distinguished service crosses were awarded to members of the regiment. The most celebrated man in the regiment was Private Henry Johnson, a former Albany, New York Rails station porter who earned the nickname The Black Death for his actions in combat. <laughs> It's a good nickname. It Strong. is a really a good nickname. Good nickname. <laughs> yeah, I read that one. I was like, okay, that guy got the best nickname. <laughs> yeah, I approve of that nickname. In May 1918, Johnson and Private Needham Roberts fought off a 24-man German patrol, though both were severely wounded doing so. 24 versus 2? Yes. 24 versus 2? Yeah. That's... Hardcore? Yeah, that's some like, you know, why isn't there a movie of this? (laughs) I think we both know why there's no movie of these guys. Because they're black. After they expended their ammunition, Roberts used his rifle as a club, whilst Johnson battled the Germans with his bolo knife. Oh my god! Like a zombie attack! (laughs) Reports suggested that Johnson killed at least four German soldiers and may have wounded the rest. Wow. Okay, I've just realised there is something about this that isn't in here, which was the wounds he took during this. So I'm just going to bring that up because it is insane. Yeah. He suffered 21 wounds during that fight, (laughs) including gunshots and knife wounds. 21? Yeah. So that's almost like every single soldier got a lick in before he injured or killed them. (laughs) Pretty much. Whilst black achievements and valour usually went unnoticed, despite the fact that over 100 men from the 369th were presented with American and or French decorations, Mm. amongst these honours, Johnson was the first American to receive the Croix de Guerre medal. War cross. 
Oh, is that what that means? Yeah, cross the uh, I don't speak French, so didn't know that. On the 13th of December 1918, one month after Armistice Day, the French government awarded the War Cross to 170 individual members of the 369th, and a unit citation was awarded to the entire regiment. Awesome. The awards were presented by General Labouk himself. One of the first units in the United States Armed Forces to have black officers, in addition to all black enlisted men, the 369th compiled a war record equal to any other U.S. infantry regiment. It earned several unit citations along with many individual decorations for valour from the French government. The 369th was the first New York regiment to return to the United States, and was the first unit to march up Fifth Avenue from Washington Square Park Arch to their armoury in Harlem. And what a homecoming it was. Oh no, it was. Oh, okay. They got a fairly moderate sort of homecoming parade through most of New York and then they hit the black neighbourhoods and mm. it it was like their heroes had come home. They yeah. had the confetti, as, they as had it, the screaming it... crowds. It was they were treated with what they needed to have been treated with. Mm. How they should have been treated everywhere. Yeah. Their unit was also placed on a permanent list with other veteran units. So they have been officially recognised. Mm-hmm. In recapping the story of the 369th, Arthur W. Little, who had been a battalion commander, wrote in the regimental history, From Harlem to the Rhine, it was official that the outfit was 191 days under fire, never lost a foot of ground, or had a man taken prisoner. On two occasions, men were captured, but were recovered. Only once did it fail to take its objective, and that was largely due to the bungling by the French artillery support. That's amazing. Yeah. They were pretty much the best regiment in World War One, and most people will probably have never heard of them. Mm. Whilst overseas, the regiment made up of less than 1% of soldiers deployed, but was responsible for over 20% of the territory of all the land assigned to the United States. <sighs> the Hellfighters Band was relied upon not only in battle, but also for morale. By the end of their tour, they became one of the most famous military bands throughout Europe. They followed the regiment overseas and were highly regarded and known for being able to immediately boost morale. During the war, the regimental band, under the direction of James Reese Europe, became famous throughout Europe for introducing the until then unknown music called jazz to the British, <laughs> French and other European audiences. Their parade through the city on February the 17th, became an unofficial holiday of sorts for Harlem. Many black school children were dismissed from school so they could attend the parade. With the addition of many adults, there were thousands of people that lined the streets to see the regiment. The parade began on 5th Avenue at 61st Street and proceeded uptown past ranks of white bystanders. It then turned west on 110th Street and turned into Lenox Avenue and marched into Harlem, where black New Yorkers packed the sidewalk to see them. The parade became a marker of African-American service to the nation, a frequent point of reference for those campaigning for civil rights. There were multiple parades that took place throughout the nation. Many of these included all-black regiments. Then, in the 1920s and 30s, the 369th was a regular presence on Harlem streets, 
each year marching through the neighbourhood from their armoury to catch a train to their annual summer camp, and then back through the neighbourhood on their return two weeks later. After the First World War, the regiment was spread out throughout New York, and still maintained some military exercises. Then, with the start of the Second World War, they were reorganised as the 369th Anti-Aircraft Artillery Regiment, and were deployed to Hawaii as part of the West Coast. In May 1942, the regiment was re-established as an element of the 93rd Infantry Division. It was deployed overseas and participated in labour and security operations in the Southwest Pacific area. The 369th, along with the rest of the 93rd Infantry Division, occupied Moratai Island in Dutch New Guinea from April to June 1945, seeing limited combat. The division redeployed to Zamboanga in the Philippines on the 1st of July 1945, where it conducted mop-up patrols until the Japanese surrendered on the 15th of August. In 1933, the Regiment Armoury was created in honour of the 369th Regiment for their services. This armoury still stands today at 142nd and 5th Avenue in the heart of Harlem. The armoury was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1994. <laughs> Took them that long? Oh yeah. The infantry's polished post-World War I reputation was not completely safe from external criticism, which ultimately surfaced as a result of ongoing racial tensions in the United States. In 1940, the Chicago Defender newspaper reported that the United States Department of War arranged for the 369th Regiment be renamed the Coloured Infantry. The department announced that there were too many infantry units in the National Guard and the 369th would be among those slated to go. The first alleged step towards abolishing the famed unit. Supporters of the regiment swiftly objected to the introduction of racial identity in the title of the unit, and effectively preserving the regiment's reputation. Mm. In 2003, the New York State Department for Transportation named the Harlem River Drive as the Harlem Hellfighters Drive. On the 29th of September 2006, a 12-foot-high monument was unveiled in the honour of the 369th Regiment. This statue is a replica of the monument that stands in France. The monument is made of black granite and contains the 369th crest and rattlesnake insignia. That's cool. It is, yeah. Although it took them till 2006 to get that monument. Mm. Nearly 100 years. Descending units of the 369th Infantry Regiment have continued to serve since World War I. The 369th Infantry Regiment continued to serve until World War II, where they would be reorganised into the Anti-Aircraft Artillery Regiment. The newly formed regiment would serve in Hawaii throughout much of the West Coast. Subsequently, the 369th Anti-Aircraft Artillery Regiment would also be reformed into the present-day 369th Sustainment Brigade. So it still exists in, in one form today? Yeah, they... Essentially, after World War One, they'd kicked that much ass that they kept trying to get rid of the regiment and kept them away from the front lines in World War Two and tried to rename it and reorganize it. And it still kind of exists, but it's not the Harlem Hellfighters anymore because the white guys didn't want the celebrated black regiment around anymore. Mm. Even though they were quite clearly amazing in World War One. No. So, yeah, so that had to be hidden at all costs. Yeah. Yeah. 
they were 1% of the armed forces America sent in, but they covered 20% of the American campaign themselves. Mm. That's insane. And they never lost. They didn't lose any ground. Yeah, it's a... It's both a, an amazing and tragic story. Mm. Oh, that they, they are amazing, but it shows how f- fucking horrific the rest of the world was for the way it treated them, and how mm. people thought at the time. And even since then, like a lot of these kind of sentiments still exist in large parts of the world and in America. Yeah, and it just think what what do african-american people need to do to prove their value and their worth and that they should be treated equally because they did things that most people could never do just in this regiment and it's not been enough to be even given the recognition it deserves no i don't know how true it is so i'm just looking up that there was something about they had a policy of not awarding medals to to african-americans in the second world war wow but it might not be true, so I'm just going to check it before I... Yeah. It's one of those things, I could believe it if it was true, but I really hope it's not. Mm. Right, okay. During World War Two, African-American enlistment was at an all-time high, with more than one million serving in the armed forces. However, the US military was still heavily segregated. The Marines had no black enlisted in their ranks. There were blacks in the Navy Seabees and the United States Air Force. The Army had only five African-American officers. Wow. In addition, no African-American would receive the Medal of Honor during the war, and their tasks in the war were largely reserved to non-combat units. Black soldiers had to sometimes give up their seats in trains to the Nazi prisoners of war. What? Oh, for fuck's sake. It would take over 50 years and a presidential order before the U.S. Army reviewed their records in order to award any medals of honour to black soldiers. Wait, 50 years from World War Two? Yes. So the 90s? Yes. On January the 13th, 1997, Bill Clinton, in a White House ceremony, awarded the nation's highest military honour, the Medal of Honour, to... Bear in mind there were, ele- there were one million enlisted black men in the army. How many medals of honours do you think they got? It's going to be something stupid. In 1997. They're going to be like five. Seven. And just to add a little bit of joy, only one of them was still alive. What the fuck is wrong with the world? So soldiers who earned the Medal of Honor during World War II were denied it because they were black. And then it took until the late 90s for them to be posthumously awarded. But even then, they only gave it out to seven people. Mm -hmm. Fucking racist bastards uh now i'm just going to see how many medal of honors were awarded to white soldiers in world war ii right here we go list of medals of honor recipients for world war ii okay do you want to guess a number oh it's going to be something horrifically high isn't it compared to the african-americans so i'm going to say several thousand not quite 464 oh okay it's still a horrible amount yeah (laughs) it's the highest honor so they're not going to give out, you know, there's, there's, there's honours like before the Medal of Honour. The Medal of Honour is the baddest of the badass medals. Just... The recipient must have distinguished themselves at the risk of their own life above and beyond the call of duty in action against the enemy of the United States. Due to the nature of this medal, it is commonly presented posthumously. 
It's just, if you take the Hellfighters as an example and the stuff they did, how amazing they were at their job, their dedication to their country and the cause, it just makes you question, if America had treated all of its soldiers equally, if they hadn't have been racist and discriminatory, how how much of a difference it could have made to not just World War One but World War Two and, and every war they've been in is like, would it have made things for the better? Would they have saved more lives if they'd have treated people? like human beings rather than they're literally like treating them like animals they're sending out pamphlets to the french saying watch out they're really rapey it's like why what is the point of it what are you benefiting from doing that yeah i just it's uh sorry i'm just looking because so it's for massive amounts of heroism right so it's often rewarded posthumously to people who have like you know done ridiculous acts of what americans call heroism Mm. so the white ratio is 464 awarded, 57% of those people, it was awarded posthumously. So 57% of those died in battle. Yeah. So I'm just seeing what the percentage of the um, one, two, three, four, five, six. Sorry, my brain's a bit. So the po- so there's six, six were had already, so it's four of them died in 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 battle okay so it's okay so it is about the same ratio if you see what i mean i don't i don't know what i was <laughs> i've just tried to do maths it's 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 melted my brain i'm sorry i i i don't even know what point i was trying to make <laughs> that's okay sorry this is one it's it's uh, i don't know how to feel about this episode it's not all great but at the same time the the men of the hellfighters are amazing and i have nothing but respect and admiration for them but i can't listen to the story about how they're treated without feeling anger and probably i'm gonna have to say a little bit of shame at like you know as a white person i can't believe you know i i have come from a system that treated other people that way it's it's ugh. Mm. Well, thank you, Han, for joining me for this episode. I would say it's been a pleasure talking about the Hellfighters, but um, it has and it, it hasn't. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It, it was both amazing and horrific. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad that I know about it now. No, I, I am too. It's it's a fascinating subject and one that I'm mm. going to be delving into more because there are books and and lots of articles online about the Hellfighters. So if it's something that interests any of the listeners, please do look into them more because you know we I just gave a very broad overview of their regiment, but the actual stories of their their combat experiences and the the acts of heroism they performed are absolutely amazing. So. Mm you should definitely check that out but if you enjoyed the episode you can also follow us online as well we have a twitter account which is at eccentric underscore earth and you can find us on facebook and instagram we keep our social media up to date with information on new and upcoming episodes if you want to write into us with any suggestions for episodes you'd like to see us cover or with any feedback questions or queries our email address is eccentric earth at outlook.com and we're available on all major podcast providers so please make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and you can even find us on youtube now as well so if you don't have a podcast provider just go on to youtube and you can find us there at eccentric earth as well but thank you very much for joining me again han it's been an absolute pleasure as always yeah thanks for thanks for having me amy and we will see everybody next time bye thanks for listening bye